You're listening to the Beards Creek Podcast, and this week we are going to do something a little different. Uh, we had a guest who last minute was not able to join us, and so rather than go a week without a podcast, um, we're gonna we're gonna do something a little different. This will probably be a little bit shorter, which I'm sure you're thankful for. Um, but uh, I want to just kind of share a little bit about what my summer is going to be, and then um, just share a kind of a story. So. I have mentioned before on the podcast that I am uh, a pastor. Um, my my primary profession is uh, the lead pastor of a, a church in uh, Perry, New York, a church that's that is growing. We're we're close to a hundred uh, in a weekly attendance right now, and uh, and I've been here for uh, just over six years, <clears throat> and have been pastoring for about fifteen years. And most churches, most denominations have a, um, a, a benefit or a perk or whatever you want to call it where they give pastors a sabbatical after seven years. And the idea is that you would take three months off, that you would get uh, restored and rejuvenated and re-energized um, to then step into the next season of life in the church. And so I am uh, getting ready to take a sabbatical, and I'm starting that on Father's Day, uh, the 18th. I'll be gone for two weeks to Senegal. My family will be with me for part of that, and then I'll have seven weeks back home um, where I'll be primarily staying in my cabin. And the idea is to, yeah, to get some rest and to um, get... Um, kind of re-energized, um, but there's also the the idea of wanting to um, restore your creative nature, your creative juices. And I had done a, um, a an abbreviated sabbatical a number of years ago and started writing a, a book. <clears throat> and it's not um, any kind of great, you know bestseller or anything like that it was uh, uh at the time i'd been reading a lot of uh outdoor writers people like Corey ford who um lived before me uh but i loved his writing uh people like gene hill and robert rourke um and at the time i was also reading a lot of steve chapman who uh, wrote the tales hunters tell and a look from um a uh a look at life from the deer stand. And so Steve Chapman kind of um, really influenced what I was trying to do uh, in writing my book. So I was I'm telling some, some outdoor hunting stories and then tying them to um, <clears throat> some of the lessons that I've learned, whether they are biblical lessons or uh, just life lessons. Well, I started that. And then as I mentioned, my sabbatical was abbreviated. I got um, called out of that to take a new job. And so it's something that has sat on the shelf for a number of years. And my hope is with this sabbatical to return to it and finish it. And I have no, um, no illusions of it being published in any way, shape or form, but, um, it's just a personal goal for me to, to, to finish it. So, 
So tonight I wanted to, uh, <clears throat> and I'm not sure this story is actually going to be in this this book at all because it's not well written. It's one that I did way back then. But I'm going to share it and then just talk a few minutes about it afterwards. So the four-wheeler has been loaded on the trailer. The trailer hitched to the pickup, and the pickup has been meticulously packed. As the three of us get into the truck, the conversation spins around how busy our weeks have been. One of the guys asked, did somebody remember the Jim Beam? And a number of other topics seemed to pop up. Topics that were designed specifically to make the trip go quicker. As the truck rolls out of Chilai and heads towards Olean, we know that there will be two hours of conversation, a few traditional stops, and a slow melting away of life as we know it. In roughly 20 minutes, we find ourselves in a small town of Stone Church. Sheard's Guns, Antiques, and Ice Cream is often our first stop. Sometimes we stop for ammo or for bait, sometimes for ice cream, and sometimes just to get caught up on politics. The next stop we know won't be for another hour as we'll grab lunch at Subway in Houghton. However, with each passing mile, each of us experiences a sense of being released from the craziness of jobs, kids, finances, and home maintenance. While we have not yet arrived at camp, we are feeling more and more at home as we travel. We continue south on Route 19, and from the passenger seat, Dad mentions how grateful he is that we no longer take 305 to Cuba, but that we get on 86 instead. That part of the trip to Cuba always seems so slow, and we'd always get behind some idiot driver, he would say. From the back seat, we hear my brother chuckling. And a quick look over my shoulder tells me that he's texting with someone. It turns out it's one of the many friends we have who are heading towards their own hunting camp. The thought crosses my mind. The fraternity of hunting has many chapters and many different frat houses. Soon we take the exit off of Route 86. I ease the truck into the right turn and we pass JD's smoking grill and bar. The aroma of ribs and chicken take each of us back to many evenings spent at Joe's eating, laughing, and shooting pool. We also all recognize this as the last landmark before we leave the paved road. In less than a mile, we take a left down a short, steep hill that lands us on the steel bridge that takes us across Ishua Creek. A little further down the stone road, we make a sharp right onto a seldom used railroad bed. We're so close now. The popping sound of the first beers cracking open rings loud in my ears. Two hours of driving, two hours of leaving behind all the stress, two hours of leaving behind the pressure are now replaced by five minutes of heart pounding anticipation. We're here, we are home. The truck knows the way from here. We slowly make our way across the field, dodging rocks and woodchuck holes, all the while keeping our eyes peeled for deer or any sign of them. As the truck comes to a stop, there's a flurry of action. The four-wheeler 
fires to life, and it carries the heaviest of luggage up a slight hill to the cabin, while others make multiple trips walking. Everyone knows that no one is home until everyone is home. With all the gear unloaded and put in its rightful spot, I take a moment and I stand on the porch looking at the sign hanging above the door. It reads, Dead Nuts Log D. Yes, we know it's not spelled right. It was done intentional as a nod to the fact that here at camp you can let down and be stupid. It's a humor that our wives just never get. I turn 180 degrees and I'm looking into the ravine that holds Davis Creek. It's a deep ravine and it has a small stream running through it and the most beautiful trees in the world. In that moment, I take a deep breath and I can feel the yoke of life being taken off of my shoulders much like a backpacker removing their heavy pack. We are cheating life, I say as dad hands me a beer. And as we pull up our white plastic chairs and we take our places on the porch, it doesn't get any better than this, does it? Tomorrow, we'll bring the start of deer season. <clears throat> but for now, we will bask in the peace that being at camp offers as we sit here on the porch swapping stories some guys spitting tobacco and others swilling beer soon enough the ritual of clams and steaks for opening dinner will begin one of us will take on the task of steaming the clams melting butter and mixing in frank's hot sauce steaks will be seasoned and placed on the grill with precise timing so that they will be ready as the last clam is eaten. As the sun goes down and the temperature drops, the lights in the furnace come on. Our little 12 by 20 cabin grows cozy with warmth, laughter, and the gear of six men. The night before deer season has often been compared to Christmas Eve. For grown men and young boys, the anticipation of what tomorrow might bring is palpable. With dinner finished, maps come out, stands are chosen, and hunting vests are packed. The distinct sound of action rifles being worked and the tink-tink of bullets placed in pockets or being taped up to avoid noise in the woods can be heard throughout the cabin. The irresistible urge to give a test blow on a grunt call or a quick tip of a doke in heat can is heard from one or more of the men. These sounds are often coupled with someone declaring the discovery of last year's peanut butter cup being found in their vest. In short order, everyone has packed up all that they will need for tomorrow's hunt. They have laid out the clothes that they will wear, and they've given their firearm one last check. It seems that all that is left is to wait for the early alarms to awaken us. A quick look at the clock tells us that it's too early for bed. And honestly, with such a small amount of time that we get to spend together in this setting, we're motivated to continue enjoying each other's company. The deck of cards is brought out and thrown on the table. 
Another round of beers is fetched from the cooler on the porch. First Jack is yelled, and guys begin to gather around for the start of what is a season-long game of euchre. Conversation continues as cards are slapped down on the table and someone yells, Look at the shoulders on that boy! For the men of Dead Nuts Deer Camp, this is our ritual. The same stories are told every year. The same foods are consumed. And the same hunting spots are claimed by these same hunters. There's just some comfort in the familiar familiarity of it all. In the ritualistic nature of camp life, we find comfort. Perhaps it's why when something out of the ordinary happens, it impacts us and sticks out so much. Well, for 12 years, these rituals took place at Dead Nuts Log D. And for 15 years before that, it took place at our earlier hunting camps. There are moments that have been seared into our consciousness. Moments that in some odd way came to define this group of men during this time. Those 12 years came and went quickly. There is a character from television's The Office, Andy Bernard. And he was once quoted as saying, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you actually left them. Our years at Dead Nuts were our good old days. The fun we had in that time is more than we deserved in a lifetime. We were cheating life. <clears throat> I, um, I admit readily that um, I am a bit nostalgic, that I, um, I love to... Um, um, I, I love to experience life, but I also love to remember it. <clears throat> and I don't want to be one of those people that gets caught in the past, always looking to the past. But um, doing these interviews or, and doing the podcast over the last uh, three months, there's been a lot of those types of feelings or emotions that have been stirred in me. Talking to um, to Charlie and, and Rachel and Emily and Jackie and Jake, um, talking to, with my dad, interviewing my dad and my brother, <clears throat> interviewing um, guys that I used to hunt with. There's a just a, a sense of nostalgia, and in some ways, I think that um, we've lost some of that. I'm active on Instagram and Facebook in, in part because um, we make connections that way and, and in part because of our company. And, um, but the, the ones that I am really drawn to on Instagram are the ones that uh, tell the stories, the ones that uh, pull you in with um, the tales of what they've experienced. But I think, by and large, that has been lost. So much of hunting now is about making sure you have the newest and best bow and the newest and best arrows and uh, what gun are you shooting or um, even, you know, you shouldn't shoot guns. Only real hunters use bows and 
only you know just the the back and forth stuff that goes on and the opinions that that are so commonplace on on social media <clears throat> and in some ways i think we have um lost some of the heart that um has always traditionally been there uh in our deer camps and i think deer camps in and of themselves are fading at least here in western new york there are still some but they are not what they used to be in that um many of them have been um aged out there were uh, men who hunted in those camps for 30 or 40 years and their children or th their sons or daughters or their lives are just too busy or they've lost interest and and there's a whole um, heritage now that that seems to be missing and I got to admit that I'm partly guilty in that too I have been in a number of hunting camps over the years and they've always included for the most part my brother-in-law my brother my dad and um, <clears throat> as of late my my own children but they've evolved uh, we used to stay in cabins that were uninsulated and cold we'd stay in you know the the tents that were uh, with no floors we'd put hay down on the ground we'd um, you know, in the cabin in the story that I was sharing at Dead Nuts Logdy, um, it was 12 feet by 20 feet, I think. It might have been 18 feet. It was tiny. It was compact. It, there was no real room to move around. It got cold. The lighting wasn't great. And all of that just worked to bring about a camaraderie that we don't see um, as much these days we have a cabin now <clears throat> and we run a we run a deer camp out of there but i know I, and i've mentioned this on a previous podcast but it's it's very comfortable wood stove um it's uh 20 by 40 plus a, a huge porch on the front of it it's got running water and um, a bathroom and a shower and uh, television it's got all of the amenities and our camps are still deer camps we still look forward to to being there uh, during deer season but um, it's also close enough to home that you know some of the kids will go home for whatever reason or will um, will go into town for something or we will um, instead of staying up and playing cards we'll watch a movie or um or we'll watch television and there is something about the bond that takes place in camp when you have little to nothing uh, of the amenities that has been lost and i'm not sure how we fix that or even if we should fix it but my spirit of nostalgia leaves me a bit saddened that those days are gone and maybe it's just because uh it means if those days are gone that someday my days will be gone too at 51 years old you start realizing you know i'm i can only probably do this hunting thing another 30 years or so and um 
I'm not sure I'll be ready even then to give it up. So those are just some of the thoughts that I've had. And as I'm uh, taking this summer to work on, on writing this, this book, I'm sure more of these thoughts will be coming out. And uh, hopefully I can get them on paper. And uh, hopefully there'll be some other things in there that are, are worth uh, reading and, uh, and, and worth, worth thinking through. But um, that's what I have for us for this week. And I know that it's, it's not a, a guest interview or a, um, uh, a talk on habitat or wildlife or uh, any of those other things that we normally address. But it is, um, uh, it is something that I have um, chewed on for a number of years and has uh, gnawed at my, my heart a little bit that uh, I miss those days. I miss the days where it felt like we were cheating life. In the meantime, there's still adventure to be had. And so while life doesn't stay the same and life uh, goes on and there are new adventures to be found and so uh, with that I want to encourage each of you to uh, to get out there find adventure and live it